I can remember being in seventh grade Spanish class, and I wasn't particularly good at Spanish, but I remember being um, even more overwhelmed when I was assigned a country report. And what that meant was that everyone in our class got, had to do a report over a different Spanish-speaking country. And, you know, in the year, I was about 12, and I was getting overwhelmed by all the things we'd have to do. And I remember being assigned the country of Costa Rica, which I've never heard of at that point, probably. And I didn't know anything about it, but I remember going through and starting to uh, learn, you know, what their climate was like, what their, the economy was like, what the population, and all these different cultural factors. And I felt pretty good about the project. I couldn't today tell you how well I did, if I got good grades or not on it, but I felt pretty good about it. Uh, put it on the shelf, never thought about it again, until next year in eighth grade Spanish class. I remember sitting there and we got assigned yet another country report. This time, I'm feeling a little bit better because I know at least what's coming. I'm expected. The teacher starts handing out the assignments and wouldn't you know it, but I got assigned Costa Rica again. Man, I could hardly contain my excitement and <laughs> trying to keep a straight face. And I was looking at everyone on my classes and I'm like, you suckers, you don't even know. <laughs> and for the next month or so, they worked hard and I did nothing. And it was awesome until <clears throat> I went to print off my project that I'd done the year before. Thankfully, I could find it on my parents' computer. I hadn't thought maybe, you know, it might have got deleted. That, that thought never even crossed my mind. Thankfully, I found it, and I went to make sure I had had everything in the right order, and I found out, uh, you know, the day before it was due that though the assignments were, had the same title, they weren't exactly the same. So yes, I had to do another country report on Costa Rica, only this one needed to look a little different. And well, the day that I turned it in, I was a tired eighth grader that day. There are some things that come before us, some certain tasks that get put before us that we think we can get out of, whether by luck or by sheer, we just, you know, don't want to do it. We think we can get out of the tasks set before us. But what we learn is that there are certain tasks that we cannot escape. I want to welcome you to Crosspoint this morning. My name is Kale Courtright, and we are so glad that you are here today. You've been welcomed a few times. I want to welcome you again, especially if you're one of our guests. Thank you for being here. Uh, we hope you feel right at home with our family. I want to reiterate an announcement that Brian gave just a minute ago. Families, if you have yet, haven't yet signed up for, for Family Retreat, please do so today. You can do it on the app or on our website. I know that this is going to be a great event for your family to attend, a great moment just to get out of town and spend some time together. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, as I think about raising my family, I think about the outcomes that I want. How am I going to get to the point that I, that I would like to see my kids at? What am I going to do? And I'm not saying necessarily that family retreat is, is the silver bullet, but I know that it can't hurt. I know that spending time together, spending time together in the Word, being intentionally focused on your family will, will help you get to where you want to go. It's easy to show our kids or it's easy to tell our kids what's important. And this is a moment you can show them what is important to you and your family. I hope you have a bulletin or the Crosspoint Church app because there's lots of other ways to be involved here. We have a lot of things going on. And also on the, the bulletin or on the app, you can follow, follow along with today's sermon. 
Today we're going to start a new series on the book of Jonah. I'm excited to be part of this series. Um, I'm, I'm excited to get into the book of Jonah because, you know, I thought I'd just flip it open and I know everything that Jonah is about, right? I've known about Jonah since I was really little. And I bet even if you don't have much of a church background, I bet you've heard of Jonah too. You've heard of the man in the Bible who was swallowed by a fish and lived there for three days. You've heard that story probably, even if you've, this is your first time in church, I'll tell you this much, my six-year-old knows the book of Jonah. He has heard the story. This is a lesson, a series, that, a, a character that we even give to our children. And because of that, there brings some challenges when you're going to open up the book of Jonah. Because you've heard about it so much. You have a familiarity with Jonah. But I would challenge you to open it back up and to take a second look. In fact, I want you over the next four weeks to read the book of Jonah a few times. Jonah is not very long. In my Bible here, it's, it's a one page front and back. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is longer than the book of Jonah. And so go and turn in your Bibles to Jonah and read it a few times. Not right now, okay? <laughs> Later. But I want you to open it up. Now, if you are if you're struggling to find it, go to the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, and go back eight books, and you'll find Jonah there at the end of the Old Testament. But because we are so familiar, I want you to take a look again, because there are some things in there that we're going to pull out over the next few weeks that I think there is a message for us today in the book of Jonah. Jonah is also pretty unique. Jonah is a prophet, and we know that because, one, he is found with the prophet's um, and his book is found with the other prophet books. We know because of the book of Jonah that it, he is a prophet. But what's different is that he's not called a prophet. Almost every other prophet in your Bible, it will start out by saying, you know, Jeremiah a prophet or Micah a prophet. But Jonah's not called a prophet. We know this, that he's a prophet because as the book starts, God will say, uh, Jonah, come and go speak to Nineveh. And that's another thing that's different about Jonah. Almost every other prophet is a prophet to Israel. God sees how Israel or Judah is not obeying him, is not living up to their covenant, is living in rebellion. So God will raise up a prophet to send to his people. But not in this case. In this case, Jonah, Jonah is a prophet to Nineveh. And we're going to get into Nineveh in a little bit. But that makes Jonah unique. He's not sent to Israel. He's sent to a people who do not know God. But in this book, Jonah is going to teach us something about God because what we know is that Jonah is not the central character of this book. In fact, as we read today, Jonah is kind of, um, he's not really a hero at all. The hero of the story, the protagonist of the story, like any other book in the Bible, is God. God is the central character of the story. And this is God is who we will learn about as we go through this. All the prophets teach us about God. And this is a definition that I use to talk about prophets. A prophet reveals who God is and what God does. And so as we read Jonah, ask yourself the question, what is this teaching me about God? What is this showing me about God? Because Jonah will teach us about who God is. I want to start by reading in Jonah chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go to Jonah chapter 1 and we'll start in verse 1. This is how the scripture reads. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard 
sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here, as I just said, Jonah is not sent to people of Israel. He's not sent to where he is. He's sent somewhere else. Now, Nineveh is a town that is found in, in modern-day Iraq in the northern part. This isn't that close to Israel at all. Now, if you've never heard of Tarshish before, that's okay because it does come up in Scripture from time to time. Uh, we're pretty sure it was a town, but it's not there today. And in, in fact, what Jonah is doing here is Jonah is running about as far away from God as he can. And this is exactly what it looks like. He's called to go to Nineveh, some 500 miles away. Instead, he says, you know what? I'd rather go to the other side of the world. For an ancient person such, of, such as Jonah, that is as far as they thought the world existed. There is nowhere further. If he could have gone further, he would have gone further. But that is where he tries to run off to. He's trying to go to the other side of the world. Have you ever been asked something of God that you said, you know what, I would rather run as far away as I could? That's exactly what Jonah does. And maybe you're like me today, and you read that, and you go... How could you, Jonah? I mean, I would never do that. I've never been called by God and decided to live a different way. I've never read scripture. I've never seen the example of your son, Jesus, and decided I'll live differently. I've never heard a sermon. I've never been encouraged by a friend to a certain way of life and gone the opposite way. I know this. We've always followed God exactly without any rebellion. Jonah hops on a boat, and this is how it goes. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And I wonder what that looks like. Excuse me, why are you with us today? I'm, I'm running from the Lord. Very good. Your seat's right over there. For whatever reason, Jonah has already disclosed this, that he is running from God. And they're afraid, and they should be, because this storm is supernatural. This storm is directed by God. Jonah is trying to flee, and instead he is stopped dead in his tracks. The boat is not going to make it. God has a task set for Jonah, and he's not going to let him off the hook. Jonah's disobedience here has major ramifications, and not just for Jonah. Look at how it's costing the rest of the sailors. They've thrown things overboard, so there's an economic cost to them. They are afraid for their lives, so there is emotional turmoil for them. Their very life is at stake, and very likely they will perish. Jonah 
is living in such a way that he is putting everybody at risk around him. And what we learn is that disobedience has ramifications for everybody around us. This is a truth, church, is that dis- disobedience rarely has consequences only for the sinner. What you think will be isolated, what you think you can do alone, Jonah teaches us that that's not true. It reminds me of Thanksgiving 2009, and you might have remember this. Maybe fondly you had great dessert that day, I don't know. But you, there was a story that broke over that Thanksgiving that you probably remember. It happened late Thanksgiving night, and then that morning we woke up to reports that Tiger Woods had been involved in a car accident. And, it, and from the very beginning, it seemed fishy. It seemed like something more was going on. Many people suspected that there was alcohol or drugs involved. We weren't sure, but over the coming days, we realized the extent of the story, and we realized the extent of disobedience that was in Tiger Woods' life. And we realized, and his story highlights how one person's disobedience, one person's rebellion, one person's sin has major ramifications for everyone around them. Think about his fallout. It affected him and affected him for about a decade of his professional career. His wife, who he had made a vow and a covenant to, deals with the consequences. His kids will never know not having these consequences as part of their life. They will always have this as part of theirs. The rest of his family, his business partners, Even his caddy has to deal with this. The entire PGA Tour deals with the consequences of one man's disobedience. So too, the same is true for you, church. What you may think that you can do in the quiet, behind closed doors, in the secret, the the, the decision you make that you say, yeah, I know this isn't a good decision, but it only impacts me, that is just not true. Your disobedience will have consequences for everyone around you. See, we talk about this a lot here at Crosspoint, the power of our connection with one another. And we know that it is mostly for good. That's why we want you to be connected. That's why we want you involved in a connect group, because we know the power of other people in your life. But the same is also true, that if you choose rebellion, if you choose disobedience, if you choose to turn your back and run from God, that too will have consequences on everyone around you. And so this is something that we learned from the book of Jonah. The writer of Jonah here in chapter 1 uses his words very carefully to paint a message, not only for the readers then, but for us today. Now your, your Bible may translate it different, but what we see is at the, the beginning of the book of Jonah, God calls Jonah to rise up. He says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. And then he makes it very clear. It says, the text says that Jonah rises up and he goes the opposite direction. Jonah arises, he gets up, and he goes to Joppa. And again, the writer wants you to know that this message is from the Lord. So even when Jonah's on the boat, even when he's fast asleep, what does the text read? That the, the captain shakes him, wakes him up, and it says, get up or rise up. Jonah cannot escape the task that God has given him. The command from the Lord has moved to the very mouth of the captain of the ship. Get up, Jonah, and pray to your God. The writer also wants you to know about the spiritual condition of Jonah. 
Jonah is moving away from the Lord, or as they would have said it then, he is, he is moving down. He's going down away from, away from the heavens. So when God calls Jonah to Nineveh, it says that the text says that he went down to Joppa. The writer's using a, a pun here. It's a play on words. That yes, he, he is going down to Joppa, but he is spiritually moving away from the Lord. So much so that when he gets on the boat, so too there it says he went down into the hold. Jonah is moving away from the Lord. Spiritually, he is moving closer to his death. Because when we flee from God, that's all that it can bring us is death. Jonah chapter 1 continues in verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The writer of Jonah here wants, you, wants to paint this picture for you. This is a life and death situation. This is the worst situation these sailors could have ever imagined. A storm that they, there is nothing they can do in the midst of the storm. The writer also wants you to see that this is an insider versus an outsider story. The, the writer is setting up this juxtaposition of the sailors and of Jonah. Now, in our story, Jonah is the, is the Hebrew. He's the one who follows God. He's the one that's called by God. He should be the prophet here. He should be the one that we're learning from. And yet, the narrative over and over again says that it's the sailor that's showing us the kind of people we should be, not Jonah. Look at what they juxtapose here. The, the sailors are working hard in the storm. They're rowing hard. They're throwing things overboard. And Jonah is fast asleep. He is taking no part in the work that is at hand. The, Jonah, the, the sailors are all praying to their gods. It's clear that these people do not know the, is, the Israelite God. They're praying to any God that they know to. In fact, when they wake Jonah up, they ask him to pray. There is no account of Jonah praying in Jonah chapter 1. The sailors are trying to preserve life. They're doing everything they can to save Jonah's life. They, it's clear they do not want to take the blood of an innocent person. Jonah, on the other hand, would rather put his life at risk. Now, before you think of Jonah as heroic, before you think of him as, you know, he says it's his fault, he'll take punishment. No, Jonah knows he has two options. He can repent and go to Nineveh like God asks, or he can take the punishment for disobedience and die. Jonah, for whatever reason, would rather not go to Nineveh. Nineveh was thought to be the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh represents all that the Israelites feared and most likely hated. Before this point in their history, the Assyrian Empire has already come and destroyed the northern ten tribes of Israel. Nineveh, it represents the enemy. 
Jonah knows that. And Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. Jonah wants no part in going in behind enemy lines. He would rather die than do what God has asked. At the end of the story, we see how the sailors turn and they worship God. They are seeking the God not only who can control this storm, but the God who created everything. And because of Jonah's presence, they find God. And it says that, he, that they turn to worship God. Jonah, there is no record of him here worshiping God. He does not hit his knees and pray for forgiveness. He does not offer a sacrifice. Jonah turns and runs away. What we learn here from the sailors, what we see in the sailors is that they are humane. They, they want to protect the life of Jonah as well as everyone else on board. They're pious. They are worshiping God in the end. They're practical. They're doing everything they can. And we see that they are open to God. At the beginning of the story, they don't know God, but we see that they have hearts that are open to him. Jonah doesn't have any of these characteristics. He's supposed to be the prophet. He's supposed to be the insider. He's supposed to be the one that is showing the way. He's supposed to set the example from who we should be and what we should be like. Instead, we learn from his example what not to do. And it leads to this question. Why is Jonah running away? Why is Jonah not doing as God has called him to do? Many people for a long time have thought that maybe Jonah was afraid. Maybe you read this and, and you know the power of the Assyrian Empire. You know the power that Nineveh holds and you don't want to go there. But I think it's pretty clear from the text that Jonah's not afraid. What's the worst thing that Nineveh could do? They could, he could die? Well, he's already offering to be thrown overboard. He, he's already facing his death. So it's not that he's afraid. So why won't Jonah obey? Why won't Jonah go to Nineveh as God has asked him? And I think it's because God, because through Jonah, we see what God is like. We see what God is up to. Jonah knows God. And he knows that if he goes to Assyria, that their hearts could turn. And he knows that his God is a God full of love and mercy and grace. And he doesn't want to offer any of that to Nineveh. He doesn't want Nineveh to know his God. The God who that we, it's revealed to us in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. The God that loves the whole world. Jonah knew that's who his God was. Jonah knew that God loved Nineveh. Nineveh had turned their backs on God. They were living a wicked life. But Jonah knew that God would welcome them back. Whether it's because of resentment, whether it's because of judgment, whether even because of fear or maybe even prejudice, we know that Jonah doesn't want to offer Nineveh anything that he currently has. But God will not let Jonah's disobedience or your disobedience stop him from loving the world. See, God from the very beginning of, the time, of time was set out to love the whole world. And your disobedience will not stop that. See, it starts on the boat. The sailors are clearly not Israelites. The text reads that they've been praying to their own gods. But in the end, they offer sacrifices and vows to Jonah's God. See, fear of the storm has turned into fear for the Lord. And God has already used Jonah to love 
and reach the world. Through Jonah, this is who our God is. This is who our God is revealed as, as a God who has always loved the world. And that God will stop at nothing to reach the whole world. So I think Jonah learned three things in chapter one here that we can take with us today. And the first thing is that it is impossible to escape God's presence. Jonah runs from God. As we showed earlier, he's running as far as he can from God to the other side of the world, to the very ends of the world. And more than that, when Jonah gets on the boat, he goes below the hold. He's below the waterline. Jonah would have believed at the time that being below the waterline meant that he was away from God. Below the water was not, was not the realm of God. So he thought he could hide from God in the hold of the boat. But what's revealed to him through the very mouth of the captain is that you cannot escape from God's presence. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how far you've moved from God. He will be there for you. Church, this is good news, that you cannot escape the Lord, that his presence is always with you. God isn't, isn't going around like a detective trying to find you in order to throw you in prison. God is going around like a loving parent who's lost his child and is desperate to find them. This is the presence that God brings to us. He's a loving parent trying to bring you back into the right way of living. He's trying to gently love you back into the family. Or as the psalmist puts it in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths like Jonah, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Church, this is good news, that God is with you wherever you go. The moments that you feel like he has abandoned you, he is there with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You cannot escape God's presence. The second thing we learn is like it. It is impossible to escape God's tasks. Jonah has a very specific task set before him. Go to Nineveh and preach my word to them. Jonah's task is like the task that you and I have set before us today. We all have the same task. Now, we're going to live it out different. Your life is different than mine. We will live out our task differently. But the task that God sets before us is to love him with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus says all the law and the prophets, including Jonah, can be summed up in one commandment, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jonah is breaking both of these laws. He's disobeying God, and by doing so, he's not loving the Lord. See, we oftentimes think the love of God looks like um, our words of adoration, and it looks like worship. It looks like good thoughts. And all of those are true, but love also looks like obedience. We have example put forth in scripture. You have people in your life that are living a life that honors God. We have no excuse but to obey, to live as God has called us to live. To live in another way is disobedience and it is breaking our command to love him. And Jonah's breaking the second one as well. God's essentially saying, go and show love to the world. Go and show love to Nineveh. 
I want them to know me and to know my love. And Jonah wants to withhold that. Jonah wants to keep it all for himself. Again, for whatever reason, he doesn't want to give any of that. He wants to withhold that from others. He's, his command is like ours, is to love our neighbor as ourself. One of the things I learned this week from, another, from a member here at Crosspoint is a lot of times we just love our neighbor as our neighbor has loved us first. And it's so true, isn't it, church? We want to wait. How are you going to treat me? And in response, that's how I will treat you. If you want to be kind and welcoming, well then sure, I will respond the same. You want to give me a cold shoulder, then that's what you'll get from me as well. That's not how we're called to love, church. We're called to love our neighbor as we would want to be loved. The love that we've seen from Jesus is the love that we're supposed to give out to other people as well. And before you think you go out and you're like, well, I'm pretty good at loving. Loving is not just the absence of meanness towards another person. Loving is not just, is, is not just waving to your neighbor. That's good. You should be kind. You should wave. But the example of Jesus is a love is the example of sacrifice. It's the example of putting one's needs above your own, of caring for another more than your own comfort, more than what you think you need. And so, yeah, be nice to your neighbors, show kindness to others, hold doors, but love might call you to a greater standard than that. Love called Jonah to Nineveh, and love is going to call you somewhere as well. The task set before you, church, is to love your neighbor as yourself, and that's the, the call that we must answer. Unlike Jonah, we need to answer and follow where God tells us to go rather than turning our back to him. And the last thing that Jonah teaches us is that it is impossible to escape God's love. Nineveh is described as a wicked city full of wicked people. And we know that in their past they've done a whole host of horrible things to other people on the, in the world. And yet, God has not cast them out of his love. Jonah blatantly disobeys God. He turns his back. He runs from God. Though he's called to be God's prophet, he's not living at all as an example for others. He claims to worship God, and yet we have no record of him doing that in Jonah chapter 1. And yet, God will not cast Jonah out of his love either. Wherever you are, whatever you've done... God's love remains for you. You cannot escape God's love. As Paul tells us, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, church. God does not give up on us. God will not cast us away from him. He is always seeking, seeking for us. He's always searching for us. And he will always welcome you back home. This is who our God is, a God that is described as love. So church, our, answer, our call today is to respond to his love. See church, you have a choice to make. Jonah knew all the right words. When, they, when, when he was asked, who are you? Where do you come from? He said, I'm a Hebrew. I, serve, I, I worship God who created all the sea and the dry land. He knew the exact right words to say. But if we look at his example, we can see that his life is not following his words. See church, oftentimes... Scripture will be held up to us as a mirror. And though we're reading the story of Jonah, the question comes for us is, where am I in this story? And where is this message speaking to me? Today, you might be someone like we find in Nineveh. 
You might be the kind of person who's never heard of God before, who's never tried to follow him. Your past might be riddled with wickedness. God has not cast you out of his love. God has a place for you. Our God is a God of love and mercy and grace. But he also has a task for you. God's call to you is to love him with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe you're kind of like Jonah today, that you've known the gospel truth your whole life, that you know what God is setting before you, and yet you're not living that way. In fact, you've turned and you're trying to run. God will not let you go. Even in the hold of the ship, he will shake you and say, get up and follow me. This is our call today, church, is that as we honor God with our lips, so too we honor him with our life. And what the world needs more than anything else is a group of people who proclaim Christ on Sunday and live out as he did Monday through Saturday. The best thing we can do to love our neighbors is to show them the love of Christ that we have in our lives. Church, we know that this is going to be a journey, that it's not always going to be easy. As I said, we are better connected. So we want to walk with you on this. We want to walk with you as you turn and walk towards your own Nineveh. As you turn and you go across the street to love your neighbor. So our shepherds and their wives will be around the room today. We want to pray with you the things that are holding you back. If this is a moment that you need to repent, let us pray with you as you turn and start to follow God again. And if you're at a place like you're Nineveh today, you've never known God, our baptistry is ready. The waters are always ready for you to take, to put to death your life and take Christ on in baptism. It'd be the best decision you ever make. If we can help you in any way, please come while we stand and sing.